Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Today, we are doing our series, Interview with a Drunk. So for those of you who are new for our in substitute of daily check-ins once or twice a week, we do workshops. One of the workshop series we do is interview with the recovered drunk. Um, I like to think of these as God guided conversations because I don't know what's going to be asked or what we're going to talk about. And um, I really, I really thoroughly enjoy them this morning. We have Nina on, who I absolutely adore. She is a recovered alcoholic, so she has experience to share with us um, as far as the solution, the steps, um, and anything else you guys want to ask. And so, Nina, I also want to mention that everyone who is here is here because they want to be here like these are not i don't make this a requirement like these are just here if if the women choose to participate in them which i think is is really cool um the amount of women that we have that show up who um just are eager to grow in their recovery unless they're in their first week but i don't know if we have anybody in their first week so i really think that everyone here is is here on their own free will so Go ahead and take it away, Nina, if you could just start and give us a little bit of background information about yourself. I'm very grateful to be here. My name is Nina. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I, you know, I, I got sober um, about five years ago. My sobriety date is January 5th of 2015. Um, I was, I think I was 26 at the time. Um, my math is bad. I'm 32 now, so whatever that is. Um, so I was young and, you know, I was someone that worked in the service industry for basically all my life up to that point. Um, I had just started working at a nonprofit at that time, but up until then, I had always worked around people that drink a lot. And so, um, you know, I, I really, when I, when I first drank, I was a, I was a really, you know, goody two shoes, um, in high school and growing up and I didn't drink until I was 19, but the first drink that I had, I just remember feeling like, Oh my God, (laughs) I have found the thing that I've been looking for. And it was the thing that allowed me to be this person that people liked, um, and had fun as opposed to this very shy and awkward, girl that I had always been. And and so, you know, I, I had that first drink and, um, it, from there, I just, I, I fell in love with alcohol and I didn't see it as, you know, a problem for a long time because it was, I was in college and we partied and, um, I was working in the service industry and we drank and, um, you know, I started to smoke pot whenever I was, uh, 21. And, um, I remember when I started smoking weed because again, very like goody two shoes, (laughs) um, I would not, I would only do it for a year. And so a year came and went 
And I was like, mm, whatever, still young, don't, don't really need to quit it yet. Um, and you know, the, the weed is actually what got me an addictions counselor. Um, I had tried to quit smoking and, um, I had, you know, drinking too, but, but it really was the smoking that I noticed was weird at the time. And, and I went for about a year, um, and I did everything in that, in that church program. I went a year without smoking pot and then I went about eight months without drinking. And, um, you know, I remember kind of on the other side of it, realizing like, what the heck, like nothing has changed. Like, I mean, I, I did this thing to like fix those parts of my life. And, and when I came out on the other side and it was not fixed, it was worse. I kind of just said, screw it. Like, this is who I am, I guess. Like, this is what I'm going to be like. And, um, and I, and I was still okay with that at the time because I was still young. And, um, and also I, I had experienced, um, um, losing my grandmother really suddenly. And, and that was really my excuse was being sad that, um, you know, I didn't have my gram anymore and it was sudden. And that was why I was living this life. And, um, coupled with the fact that I was young and working in the service industry, like I had all those excuses, right? It says on 23, it says that we have, um, we have excuses that seem plausible and those are what were all plausible excuses. But at some point, um, the havoc and alcoholics drinking bout creates like no longer, um, equals out, um, with those excuses and I, and I butchered it, but, um, you know, it says, or it's on 23, but it says, uh, if you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc and alcoholics drinking bout creates. And so this is where, you know, I really started to, um, I didn't have any of those big external consequences that I thought that people had. Like, I, I thought that one of the prerequisites to being in Alcoholics Anonymous was having a DWI or being a bum under a bridge. Like, I just really thought like AA was the last stop on the, the block for, for me, especially because um, knowing too that like my, in my mind, my life was totally manageable. Like, yeah, the alcohol and, and the pot smoking was like out of control but I had a job, I had a car, I had a family that still talked to me, I had friends, I had all of these things that I thought made my life manageable and very little external consequences. All of my consequences were really internal. Um, and so I, I didn't think it was me. And I remember, you know, I was seeing this, this counselor and she said, go to AA and she would say it every week. And I was like, oh my God, first of all, I'm not here about the alcohol. Second of all, why I'm paying you. And, and so finally, just to get her off my back, I went to an AA meeting and it was, you know, I always say it was a room full of old guys. There was one woman, she was in her thirties and she walked in and I was like, Oh, thank God. But they were so kind and they went around their room and they, they told short versions of their story. And I remember sitting there and I was like, Holy shit, I am an alcoholic and you know, I'm, addicted to pot. Like I, I, I can't quit either of these things. And, and they told stories, you know, of them drinking and using cocaine and all of these different things that, um, the details were different, um, in some instances, but, it, but in that moment, I realized like I am an alcoholic and, um, and I went back to my counselor and I said, okay, you were right. Like I do belong in AA. Thanks so much. You know, I'm going to stop paying you now. And, um, 
But even though I heard those stories, um, I didn't know what it meant. And, and ultimately, I finally, you know, I went to this foundation meeting um, and had steps one through three explained to me, um, really step one. And I remember just sitting there with like tears rolling down my face because the question that she asked was, um, do you, have you ever said you're going to stop drinking and then picked up and started again? And I was like, literally, yes, every single day for as long as I can remember. And, um, you know, that's it. Like I, I have a, a mind that keeps telling me that I can drink successfully. And every time I, I attempt to drink successfully, it goes terribly bad. Um, you know, there were maybe a handful of times where um, I would go and have a couple of drinks at the bar and I would come home and smoke weed. Or there were a couple of times where in front of my family, I could, you know, just hold it together. Um, and as soon as I was out of their presence, I would be drinking or smoking. Like it just, um, it was this thing that um, had a hold of me and I didn't know how to get out of it. And so once I found, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and I found this woman that, you know, told me her story and, and that she was nine years sober and, and she like looked the way she did and she was happy and she didn't seem like, you know, she seemed genuinely happy. I thought, you know, oh my gosh, like, you know, maybe this is for me. And um, of course, because we are hard headed, um, I sat in that foundation meeting, I cried, I was like, yes, I'm an alcoholic. Like, even though, you know, months before I'd found this like first AA meeting and I knew I was an alcoholic, I said it again. And then I started coming back to these meetings and I hated it. Like, and this is my home group now, and I hated it. I felt like it was so elementary, the way that we would read the book line by line. And I remember coming home to my, um, my, my, uh, my roommate, and I realized that um, I said something like, you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> these meetings make me want to drink. And, you know, she just was like, she looked at me with like, you know, deer in the headlight kind of look. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not like, this sucks. <laughs> like this, this is like a really crappy position to be in. And, um, I kept, you know, I kept going back. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I went back at one point and I was like, you know what? I, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I, this is, this is a lot. And I remember my, my first sponsor being like, well, then you don't have to come like you, you don't have to like, don't come to these meetings. If you don't think you're an alcoholic, like let's not waste our time doing this step work. And so I was like, awesome. Like nobody has ever said that to me. I've always been like, you know, told like, you can do it, like keep going. And what that allowed me to do was have this, this, this step one experience where I went back out and I, you know, we, we have this head full of, of um, what the, the book says and we drink and, you know, it all kind of comes to like, oh shit. And so, um, you know, I, I, I went back out and I came back in and, you know, I, I finally said, I'm ready to start doing this. And, and we went through the work and I wanted to graduate because I thought AA was for losers. And um, so I did the 12 steps and I said, thank you so much. I'm going to go be helpful at church. I don't think my experience was rough enough to, uh, to do step 12. I didn't ever go to treatment. Um, I didn't ever drink in the morning. Like some of you people, I smoked pot in the morning, but that, you know, <laughs> didn't ever drink in the morning. You know, I, I was um, looking for all these reasons that, um, that I really didn't need AA. And 
um you know my sponsor was like okay and what did I do uh I you know I think I was probably about a month in and I said I want to smoke weed and she was like okay and I was like oh again this lady is just telling me like okay you know um because like she knew that I had to have my own experience of of realizing this powerlessness and and so I did and I went back out and um you know, I, I, I came right back in. It was like one of those revolving doors. I was like, whoop, nope, don't like this. Okay, coming back in. And she was like, okay, well, we're going to rework the steps again. And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? We like literally just finished those. And so I, we reworked the steps. And when we got to step 12, she said, okay, now you're actually going to go and help other alcoholics. Um, you're going to follow the direction. And so that's what I started doing. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this this morning in my meditation because sometimes I don't talk about the pot thing just because of singleness of purpose, but I think, um, you know, this was kind of a place where I could share that. But I um, I didn't lose the desire to, to stop smoking immediately. Like alcohol went away pretty quickly. It probably went away within about a month-ish. Like once I'd worked the steps, like that desire, um, that voice was gone. And that to me was a freaking miracle. It might've been two months after that, like redo of the steps, but, um, that desire to smoke stayed with me for about a year. And I remember that because, um, I had been sober for probably like somewhere around nine, nine months to a year. And I went on this trip with my friends and it was kind of lame. And, um, you know, they were like well-meaning church friends that, you know, were trying to like help me have a good time and sobriety. And, um, it was fine. Like it was a camping trip, but I remember driving back from that and being like, I still want to smoke weed. And just like having this moment of like tears rolling down my face because I was like, I'm doing everything that I know to be doing and this is not gone and and sometimes these and the book says this like sometimes these happen quickly sometimes slowly but these promises always manifest if we work for them and you know it wasn't wasn't really long after a year that finally um, I realized one day that it was no longer a thought it was no longer it was it was just gone and I remember because I had a a neighbor that was, you know, talking about smoking weed. And I just was like, Oh, like there was nothing in me that was like, Oh, I wish I could be doing that. And I think that that's, you know, important because sometimes we just like, we want this to be an instant magic pill and it's, it's, it's magic and it's incredible and it's life-changing and um, you know, it's truly you know, I, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be sober if it wasn't infinitely better than my life was whenever I was drinking and smoking weed. Have Has it been hard? Yes. Has it always been hard? No. There's been like these pockets of, you know, where it's it's beautiful and, it, and it's so easy and it's so natural. And then there's other pockets where it's hard and it's really hard. And, you know, and, and that's not just the program, it's life. Like life, you know, um, I'm dealing with life sober. <laughs> that was something I didn't have any experience with. Um, and then there's times where it's just, you know, it's just another Tuesday and, um, you know, but, but I really, I wouldn't have made it this far if, if those step 10 promises, um, didn't come true. And so, um, 
think that's probably enough to qualify myself, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Does anybody have a question? Okay, I have a question. I have lots of questions. I just, I'll, I never know where I'm going to start. Um, okay, so I guess I'll start with, you said that your consequences were, were internal. Can you share like how you felt internally? Yeah, absolutely. So really, you know, and I'm glad you asked that because it was just like the, what I, you know, thought was supposed to happen to an alcoholic was all this bad stuff on the outside. But the, the internal stuff that was going on with me was um, at the end, I, I didn't want to live anymore and I wasn't suicidal. I was scared of death. Um, still am, but I, I was, I didn't want to live anymore, but I didn't want to die. And, um, that was a, a weird feeling that I, I'd, I'd never experienced before. Um, because it, it felt like I was in this endless cycle of, of, um, screwing up and saying I wasn't going to do it again and screwing up. And so I really, I hated looking at myself in the mirror. I was so ashamed. Um, I was constantly, you know, losing all of my things. I was constantly waking up in places with people I didn't know. And, and it just so, I mean, like, you know, like cringeworthy things that I was doing. And, um, and it was just like, I remember thinking like, why am I doing this? Like, why do I continue? Like, I am just like, an awful, awful person. Like I keep hurting the people around me. I keep doing these stupid things. Um, I, you know, just like lose, like losing all of my self-worth of, um, thinking that I was, you know, anything and, and, and really honing in on like, I'm a bad person. Like I am just a shitty, awful person that, that I cannot, um, do better for myself. Like, and, um, and that was really hard. I mean, I just, you know, I really, um, I, the, the end of my drinking was, um, was alone in my room with boxed wine because I was so afraid of what had, what would happen with going out. And to me, that was just like, you know, wow, what a, what a loser that just like sits in her room and, and drinks, like what a, what a life that I live. I like that you answered that because I think a lot of times um, outside circumstances can look every like very different for everyone coming in. But I think the one thing that we can all relate to is that um, guilt and that shame and that no self-worth and that being at the jumping off place, you know, where it's like you don't want to live, but you're scared to die kind of thing. And yeah. I'm glad that and I think it's. I think it's this perfect example of um, how the alcoholic life becomes the only normal one. And sometimes that looks like the external stuff where maybe you're spending your money on booze and um, not on electricity or, you know, whatever that might be that that can apply to external. But I really see that as this internal thing too, because I remember like, it's so funny, the random things that I remember, but I remember driving down Dallas North Tollway and thinking, um, you know, I don't care if I don't have a family, if I don't have a career, if I, if I don't ever get married, if I, you know, as long as I can just drink, I will be okay. And, um, and that was, you know, this like giving up of everything, um, I think is so 
like it's that's not normal like non-alcoholics don't give up all their hopes and their dreams and their wishes just to be able to drink um and i think that kind of plays into you know this like internal feeling um but it's just it's so like that's crazy like if you were to tell a non-alcoholic like oh like i gave up you know everything i ever wanted in my life just to be able to drink booze they would you know probably look at you with your their jaw on the floor like what <laughs> just stop drinking you know uh, anybody else have a question? Okay. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, um, for everyone who knows or doesn't know, the Magnal House is having a, a wall of hope brick campaign where you can buy a brick and you can have something um, like written on it for you. And um, I loved how you were saying like, everyone's like thinking of like what they should put on this brick, right? It's forever. And then one of the things you said is like something that like your sponsor has told you that has always resonated with you. So I was wondering if you could share like some of the things that your sponsor sponsors have told you along the way that have always stuck with you that like you share with your sponsees kind of thing. I love that. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that my first sponsor told me was to pray for willingness. And I remember when she said that, I just thought that was like the craziest thing because, you know, I had prayed before in my life, but never did I ever think to pray for willingness. Because of course, when we start doing this, it is so scary. And it, there, you know, there's this period of where we're kind of going through mourning, right? Because like the, the Nina that I loved and, you know, even though it was a shit show, the Nina that I loved was the Nina that was drinking and smoking. And, and she did a lot of really cool things. And that was what made her cool in my mind. What made that Nina cool, that version was the drinking and the smoking. And so when we come into this, we want to get sober, right? Because alcohol has beat us into a state of reasonableness. We're sick and tired of it. Um, and, you know, um, the, the thing that kind of keeps us from jumping on that, um, that, you know, wheel of hell, I think, cause right. We, or it talks about in the doctor's opinion, we emerge remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. And then we do it over and over again. Like we, we, we end up, we have a desire. We take that first drink. The allergy sets off. Um, we can't control our drinking. We end up with a firm resolution not to drink again, but then that desire sets right. And it's like this, this never ending wheel. And like, you know, even like getting into Alcoholics Anonymous and hearing and, and, and understanding what it's saying and putting it um, and seeing my experience and lining those two things up and saying, oh, yeah, I am an alcoholic. Um, you know, the book also tells us that self-knowledge avails us nothing. So we can understand what it's saying all we want. But the, the key uh, that really unlocks the the you know, moving forward in this is willingness. And um, willingness is different than uh, wanting something is because it's followed by action. And, you know, I thought that I had to muster up the willingness. And so when my sponsor told me to pray for willingness, I was like, oh, like I'd, I've ne I'd never thought of that. Like, yeah, I like have a want to get sober. Am I willing? yeah you know like this like yeah I know the answer is yes I'm willing to go to any links but like holy crap that's so scary um but praying for that and and that's something that I carry into my life 
every, every day now. I mean, like I say every day, but like a lot because, um, I'm the person that doesn't like to answer the phone. I hate talking on the phone. Y'all. <laughs> um, I'm the person that like, gets really nervous when I have a, a woman that, um, you know, wants to start working with me. Um, because I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to mess it up. I, you know, and even yesterday, like I had a girl call and I've worked with her a long time ago and she's come coming back in and she doesn't leave me a message. And my sponsor is always telling me, if you don't leave a message, you didn't call. And also, even if you do leave a message and I don't call you back, it's on you to call me. And I know that, but this girl that's like newly sober, trying to get sober, um, who has worked with me in the past and knows to leave a message, still doesn't leave a message. And so my thought is, she knows to leave a message, but am I willing? Because, because me working with her is about my sobriety. That's about, that's like, am I willing to go to any links? Am I willing to pick up the phone and call her even though she didn't leave a message? Oh yeah, I am. Um, and so even today, like praying for willingness is so key. Um, and the other thing I had another sponsor that I didn't work with for very long, but she did give me something. And I feel like that's why I was um, working with her. She gave me the advice because it wasn't in the book. And I don't know that prayer for willingness is either, but she said to, to um, give yourself grace. And I remember like being taken aback by that because y'all, we are hard headed. Like, you know, we, we have, um, tried to figure out all the ways to drink successfully. Right. And, um, it's gone poorly. And now we like have this solution and we want to do it perfectly and we don't want to mess it up. And we want to make sure that we like, don't, you know, misstep here or, Oh my God, like I didn't do my nightly, like what an asshole, you know, like all these things, but to give ourselves grace and to, um, know that like, this is something that, um, I'm going to mess up but also giving myself grace because the, the, because God gives me grace. God has given me grace to this point. Um, and just like I'm able to extend grace to those around me, you know, like the girl who didn't call me, um, I can extend grace to myself. And that's been a really big like breath, I think for me to like be able to like breathe and realize that like, Oh, I'm not going to drink just because I don't do a nightly or because I, I go a week without, you know, making a 10th step necessarily. That's for me personally. Um, that my, um, like it's about this like willingness and me trying the best of my ability and not like, like nobody wants to be told like, you're doing that wrong. You know, like that doesn't make me want to do it right. Like, I'm like, screw you. I'm going to keep doing it wrong. You know, like whatever the same is true for myself. Like it doesn't make me feel good when I'm telling myself like you're doing it wrong. Like, I think there's this, like, there's a beautiful thing, um, that's in like positivity and, and, and love. And I think, you know, like we get this idea this construed idea of God, because it's this construed idea that we have of ourselves. Like I used to always think that God thinks I'm like a crappy person because I'm not doing good. And that was just my idea and my understanding of God. Whereas God like loves me as much as he did from the day I was born to now, like none of that crappy, like wild stuff that I did in between then and now um, has, has changed that. Like God loves me just as much now in my sobriety as he did in my darkest, darkest days of drinking. 
And so being able to have some, some grace for myself, um, I think just changes my perspective of, of um, not only who God is, but like how to seek him. So those are two things. Thank you. Um, I was actually talking about willingness last night with someone um, and how like really how like we're literally all sober because of the grace of God. And so I was like, well, then like, what do you think about willingness? You know, but really praying for the willingness, God gives you that willingness. And so then I can't even take credit for it anymore. Right. Cause I'm praying like, cause God's giving me Absolutely. the willingness, you know, cause I, I want to take credit for everything. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Does anybody else have a question? No. Okay. So one of the things that I do know about you and that, um, it sparked whenever you were talking is, um, you're always actively sponsoring women, at least since I've known you. Um, so can you share your experience about um, sponsoring, whether you have like a story you want to tell or how like you first started sponsoring and how it's changed? Just what, what experience do you want to share with us as far as sponsorship goes? Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, um, I didn't get my first protege or sponsee until I was uh, probably about a year sober, even though I was going to Maggie's and like, Hey, I'm available, you know, like raising my hand. And, and um, I was kind of bummed, you know? Um, and uh, you know, God will have a, somebody for us to sponsor um, in the right time. But um, you know, sponsoring, I always thought, <laughs> that my sponsor knew everything. <laughs> and I thought my sponsor, um, you know, just had, had studied, you know, hours upon hours and, um, you know, but what I've realized in, in being a sponsor and, and a lot lately too, especially as I, as I, um, you know, continue to have more years and I'm still like, when, when a new girl calls, I'm like, Oh my God, wait, what do I do? Wait. Uh, you know, and, and so, even still today, like there are points when I call my sponsor, um, in the beginning of this and be like, wait, can you remind me what I was supposed to do in this part? Cause I've, I've done it. I've done it so many times. And, um, but you know, I, I was listening to, um, an interview with Kathleen and she talked about how, um, you know, this, you know, having one hand behind you holding another hand and one hand in front of you holding your sponsor's hand, the one behind you is holding your, your sponsee. Um, and how that kind of, you know, keeps your hands held from picking up a drink. And I, I really liked that visual. Um, but, you know, having um, somebody that I'm sponsoring, um, I, you know, I always thought that my sponsor was helping me so much and um you know that like i was inconveniencing her whenever i would call um and you know what i know now is that when i'm sponsoring somebody that that is helping me so much more than i think i'm even helping her i, I know i'm helping her but there's something in me that's happening and it's so funny because a lot of times like i'll be giving a sponsee direction and i'm like oh I, that also applies to my life, huh? Funny when you say it and you hear it out of your own mouth, how that works. God's funny like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's 
sponsoring is it's weird and it's um, messy and it's um, you're going to mess it up and you're going to say something wrong. And, you know, um, I kind of found it funny because last night my um, I, I called my sponsor yesterday about the whole thing with the girl not calling me or leaving me a message. And I was like, you know, trying to figure out, do I call her back? You know, what do I do? And um, she's been texting me and um, this girl. And so my sponsor, you know, sometimes she'll call me back the next day or even a couple of days, like I'll call her back. But um, she actually texted me to tell me, um, you know, texting is not calling. Like, you know, and she like sent this whole text about not texting. And I was like, oh, well, how humorous is this? She's texting me to tell me that text, you know? And I was like, for me, that was this beautiful reminder of like, my sponsor is also not perfect because I'm constantly in fear that I am somehow going to mess up my sponsee's journey of sobriety because I say something wrong or because I don't tell them like, don't text me, you know, because she texted me like three or four times. Um, and so like, it's just like this cool thing that um, you're you're gonna have these unique experiences with with every woman, and um, you're gonna be scared, and you're also not gonna want to answer the phone. You know, for me, I maybe somebody likes to talk on the phone a lot, but um, but that's all normal. And and I think it's you know something for me that I think is always gonna be this way. It's always gonna be kind of. Um, a way that God is, is using me to grow is, you know, by answering the phone, like literally y'all, I have had so many times where it's like eight 30, like not that late, but it's like eight 30. I'm like scrolling on Instagram. And then like a sponsor is calling me and I'm like, ah! you know, like, and my phone is always on silent y'all. Like my phone is always on silent. Um, I just, I don't like, I don't know. I don't like it not on silent. And so when she's calling me and I'm like right there, I'm like, Oh, am I willing to answer the phone? You know, and it's just like it's this continual, um, this continual exercise of willingness. But but also something that my sponsor has kind of reframed for me is like those things are are meetings with God. And I always thought that seeking God was getting on my knees and praying or whatever. But what I found um, where I find and connect with God the most is through my sponsors and the women that I sponsor. Like that is where I get these like chills and these moments of just like, wow, like God is so good. Especially when, you know, I um, am in that moment of like, oh gosh, I got to answer this phone call. And I get off the phone and I'm just like, I'm exuding joy. Um, you know, sponsorship is, is something that the book says nothing so much ensures immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Intensive work is, is taking a woman through this program. And, you know, she might just get to step three and leave and she might get through all the way through the steps and then, and then leave. Um, and that's okay. Like it, it's not like we have no um, responsibility to keep another human sober, just like nobody had that responsibility on us. Um, but what we get to do is we get to be the loving hand of AA and we get to be helpful um, because before we weren't helpful. Um, and, and this is a way that we get to practice. Um, and it's really cool. Thank you. Anybody else have a question? Yeah, um, well, that's not a question, but hi, Nina. Hi, um, I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, I really have a passion for helping others, but that phone, it, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, 
I just get this anxiety. If I'm right there in front of that person, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. But to pick up the phone, and I am so glad you shared that staring at the phone when it's ringing. Because <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. but I need a 12 step program for the phone. I really yeah. do. <laughs> Pray for the covers it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for sharing it. I feel better that we're both handicapped in that way. Sorry to include you in my problem. <laughs> I'm glad to be. Anybody else? Okay. So um, to kind of piggyback off of that, um, you said you didn't get your first protege for a year. Um, and like every, like whenever the women know that are in next step, like if they are on steps 10, 11, and 12, and then, well, I asked them two questions, like, well, what does that look like for you in your daily life? You know? Um, and then the next question is like, are you a sponsor? And if they say no, then they know I'm going to ask, well, do people know that you're a sponsor? Like, what are you doing to make yourself available to sponsor? Um, and so that would be my same question for you is what were you doing um, to make yourself available for sponsorship? Yeah. And what do you do to make yourself available? I mean, I think the longer we're sober, the easier it is to get sponsees, like, cause people just know that you're like, she's been sober for a while. She sponsors kind of thing. But whenever you're first sober and you're first out there, like doing 10, 11 and 12, like you really have to like make yourself available kind of thing. Like what, what, what would, what would you do? What did you do? Yeah. I think that's such a good question. And I think even still, especially like being in this weird pandemic too um because like my my home group is notorious for like not having newcomers and working at maggie's like i'm not allowed to work with maggie's women unless like we knew each other before or like but like women that are in the house like i don't get to work with them and um and so for me, you know, at, because Maggie's was always this place where I like got, you know, protégés from, um, that's kind of been interesting and in especially the pandemic because also I don't have my regular commitment. Um, but especially in the beginning, you know, going and more than just saying like, hi, you know, I'm Nina and I'm available to sponsor. It's going up to women and saying, hey, like, how are you? Like, where are you at in the work? And, um, you know, do you have a sponsor? Right. Because, you know, this talks about how, like, I'm supposed to actively pursue people to sponsor. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean chasing someone down the street and be like, let me sponsor you. But it's also like, you know, actually, you know, connecting with someone because remember how afraid were you when you were first sober and you're like oh my god like all these people like everybody knows what they're doing and like I don't think I can go talk to her like she seems really intimidating and but like being like extending that um and and saying and even just giving out your number and saying like hey like if you need um a sponsor or just someone to talk to like here's my number um that's a great way to to get to start kind of getting people to, to call you. Um, and even just kind of, you know, somebody has a sponsor and, and they're looking, you know, just saying like, Hey, like if you ever want to talk, like, here's my number. Um, sometimes we don't necessarily like connect with our first sponsor and, and maybe we, we want to talk to somebody else, but it's, um, for me now, like I'm trying to go to, different meetings other than my home group to connect with women that are new. Um, 
like I make the approach. Um, and, you know, of course, like that is very intimidating, but my, even what we learn is that um, me going to a meeting isn't about me needing a meeting or learn, like it's great that I get to go to a meeting and learn, but me going to a meeting is to, to, to find the newcomer um, and to make them feel welcome um, and to, you know, let them know, hey, I'm here um, if you want to talk or if you want to, to be, you know, looking for a sponsor, I'm available. Um, that's something that's um, so important and even the cool thing is is as you uh, grow in your sobriety too and um, you know now like my sponsor will give out my number if she's got too much going on and that's cool um, you know sometimes I'll get a text from like Chloe and she's like you know asking a group of people are you available to sponsor and I'm always like and it's like in a group chat and I'm always like mm, maybe I'll just wait to see if anybody else responds first <laughs> but <laughs> of course that's because that's me but um, I I, you know, respond yes. And, you know, um, like that's just opportunities for me to continue to be available. Um, and, you know, I've lately, especially being in quarantine, I've been like, oh my gosh, I need, need somebody that is in the work because I am in myself. And um, like, cause I, I have a girl that's gone through the 12 steps and, um, but even with this new girl calling me, you know, I was just saying like four days ago, oh, it'd be great to have someone, you know, to work with new. And then, you know, she's not doing it right or whatever. And I just, another reminder that like, again, this is a way, um, this is the way that I get to stay sober is by passing this on. Um, and, you know, it, there, some, um, some, you know, sponsees will be like, I'm, you know, so sorry, I've wasted your time or, you know, it's never a waste of my time. Um, I will be honest, and if I don't have the ability to work with you, I will give your number to somebody and let them know that I've given um, their number out. Um, but if I've said I'm willing to sponsor you, I have that time, um, and that's um, important for me to show up. And even if it literally goes nowhere, even if we literally just talk about step one, that's an opportunity that I had to intensively work with another alcoholic whether we went through the rest of the program or not and that's cool yes i like uh that you said that that it is never a waste of a waste of my time for sure um anybody else okay so i have two questions that i want to ask um well the first question so something that has been really um on my mind lately is um the the promises like the different promises in the book and something really cool that um my sponsor did with me is she took me back to um page 63 to the third step promises and she we went over them one by one and she asked me how if this is true in my life today and and how is it true in my life today and so it was really cool because i got to really see how the power of god is like working in my life you know um, and so I've just been thinking about that. And so what um, promises of the book stick out to you that are really, um, that you can really feel in your life today? Besides, well, besides the position of neutrality, because I know that you talk about that one. <laughs> so you can share that one, but I want you to say another one so I can hear something new. Okay. <laughs> it's all about yeah. me. Jeff knows I always go back. The 10th step promises are always my favorite because I just think that they, um, they just 
they prove that it that it works and, and it comes with those contingencies of how um you know we like if we rest on our laurels like they don't come true and resting on our laurels is is what we did yesterday so in addition to the 10 step promises which are on the bottom of 84 and top of 85 do you mind reading uh, those sure yeah so on the bottom of 84 It says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, CMD will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And, you know, that's that kind of um, contingency. <clears throat> this is how I react. Um, sanely and normally so long as i keep in fit spiritual condition and fit spiritual condition um i have written next to this page 14 and 15 and i'm pretty sure it's talking about working with another alcoholic um yeah it's at the bottom for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead so working with others um <clears throat> so in addition to those promises you know, I think about, um, and this is really going to test my knowledge of the book, but I think about peace. Um, and I know that there's a couple of places where it talks about peace. Um, I think in the ninth step promises and then um, maybe in the third step promises. Um, but y'all, I like, I didn't even, and sometimes I still don't know. I mean, I, I know what peace is. I'm a very like restless person. Like I am somebody that's like, oh, I've watched like too much TV. You got to like do something and move around and, you know, um, but, but really like having peace um, is something that I, I didn't even know um, I didn't have. Like, you know, alcohol gave me that feeling of relief. And I thought that was, you know, oh, oh, that feels good. But peace is this like crazy thing of, of not worrying about all of the unknowns, right? I used to be so constantly um, afraid of the future and thinking about it and planning it. And even like what I was saying earlier about, um, meetings, like going in and not having a plan is not anywhere in my DNA. <laughs> that is not something that I would ever, you know, think is a good idea. Like I'm a planned person and peace is this, this beautiful thing of, um, of being okay, like being okay when, when things aren't exactly going great. Um, peace is, is knowing that um, if I'm going to go into this meeting and have no idea what I'm going to talk about, God's going to use me to say something, no matter how bad I mess it up or, you know, do it perfectly or whatever, God's going to use that. Peace is, you know, um, living with, um, I have a, an alcoholic addict sister who's um, out, she's not interested in 
getting well. Um, and, you know, peace is knowing that I can be okay, um, even if, if she's not okay. And that, that was a really hard one to work through, right? Like that, uh, it's, this is the hardest thing about being in this program is we're always going to have those people in our lives that, um, that don't make it. And um, whether that's like family or friends or, you know, um, people that we, we love and respect that go back out. Um, but, you know, that inner peace that comes from um, not, it's, it's something that comes from God. And, and, you know, something that I've learned a lot too lately is that um, this program, like, teaches me how, again, the main purpose of this book, book is to connect us with a higher power. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of tools in here, um, but God gives me the peace. It's not about the number of meetings that I go to, the number of women that I work with, the number of like 10 steps that I, it's not about any of that. Um, like those are tools to connect with God, but this peace comes from God. Um, and I think those are, are my favorites. Awesome. And I was, I did look and you were right. It's step three and step and step nine. Step nine talks about, we will know serenity and we, we will know peace. And step three talks about enjoying peace of mind. So you were in case anybody was wondering, she was right. All right. Um, now, since we're at the top of the hour and, um, you were very helpful. Thank you. Um, I just want to ask if there would be one um, takeaway that you would want us, like if you don't hear anything I say, hear this um, for e either trying to get sober, stay sober, whatever the case may be, what would that takeaway that you would want us to have? This is very hard. And I was, this was one of the ones I was trying not to think about because I know that she always asks it <laughs> and I wanted to have, you know, the best answer out of all the people. Um, but I, I really tried to put it aside. Um, you know, I think the one thing that I would want you to know, um, and take away from this is that it is, it is truly worth it. Like doing this program, um, being super uncomfortable in some of the things, you know, whether it be, you know, writing a fourth step or doing a fifth step or, you know, making an amends or picking up the phone when somebody is calling, like all of these things that are uncomfortable and feel, you know, like I don't feel like doing, um, they're so worth it. And, you know, I, I lived my whole life doing what I felt like doing for so long. Um, and I was, I was miserable. Um, uh, and, you know, even if I was happy, like I wasn't like, there was still something that I needed more. And, um, and, you know, what this program has taught me is I always talk about it as like a, a bank account. Like now that I, you know, cause in step three, I said that I was willing to go to any links. And so, um, you know, when I don't feel like answering the phone or I don't feel like going to my commitment, um, or I don't feel like calling someone back, I do it anyways, because, um, this program taught me that I have to do things that I don't feel like doing, but I get a, a really beautiful reward for that. And, and it's like, every time I do something, I don't feel like, like, 
this like experience goes in the bank account. And I didn't ever have that bank account before because again, I was putting all my, my experiences in the feels like account. Like there was nothing in this, like, don't feel like doing it account. And so, you know, it is, it is worth it. And it is so, um, I don't know. I, I just think like, you know, even five years in, like I'm still learning who I am as a person. I'm still, you know, learning how to be, um, an adult sometimes. Like it, it's just, um, it is so worth it because now I don't, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not afraid of, of life anymore. Um, even when it's hard and it's scary, like I, that peace is there. Um, and so even if you feel like you're never going to lose your obsession, um, even if you feel like you're doing it all wrong, even if you feel like, you know, what's the point anyhow, um, like the women that come and, and share with you in our recovered are, are here to say like it, it works. It really does. Like it, it's so, it's so cool. Um, and you know, being in this position where you are a next step and having, um, a beautiful fellowship of women that are in the same boat as you are and, and, and getting connections with women that are, you know, um, you know, have, have sober or have, um, recovery and, and have years of experience. Um, those are all people that are, are more than happy to, to talk. And even if, um, you know, you're just, you know, feeling like maybe it's not worth it. Um, maybe call them. Um, that was a long rambly answer. <laughs> no, I love it though. Cause it is, it's so, it's so worth it. If you only knew what was on the other side. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you being here. You have a wonderful day. Thanks. Thanks for having me y'all. I will see y'all later. Bye. Thank you, Nina. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Bye. Thank you. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.